0: Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you today? Good morning, Wayne. I'm well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. We have a lot to get into today, uh, so let's get right to it. The World Health Organization, which is very concerned, as is pretty much everyone, about the Delta variant, recently repeated longstanding guidance that all people vaccinated or not should wear masks. And there are parts of the U.S., including Los Angeles County, where authorities have said at least indoors, vaccinated or not, you should wear masks. But the CDC doesn't agree. Can you cut through this confusion or conflicting signals yeah. we're getting from a lot of different people? Yeah, so a lot of, lot of
1: supposedly, and they are, a lot of smart people giving you what feels like contradictory advice. So here is how I think about it. So first of all, WHO is looking at the whole world a largely unvaccinated world and saying in a f- unvaccinated wor- world with a lot of Delta spreading around, uh, people should be wearing masks indoors. And I understand that perspective. And I, you know, I, I largely agree with it. Uh, CDC, what I think what they're really trying to do is say to people, these decisions should be made locally. And that's my view as well. So I'll tell you how I have thought about this. I, as you know, uh, live in Massachusetts, work in Rhode Island, Uh, And both of these states have very, very high levels of vaccinations. So, of course, I am personally vaccinated, but most people around me are also vaccinated. In that context, and, and, and infection numbers are low. In that context where most people are vaccinated, infection numbers are low. I don't think I need to be wearing a mask indoors. I don't think you need to be wearing a mask indoors, Wayne. I think if you're hanging around vaccinated people in a low infection community, you're fine. The problem becomes if you're in a community, let's say you're in Southwest Missouri right now, which is seeing a horrible outbreak and vaccination rates are low. Even if you're vaccinated, if you're indoors, I'd wear a mask. Now, some people say, well, well, why? Like if you're protected, why? And I'll tell you why, Um, because you're protected, you're protected against severe illness and you're protected against getting infected at all, but it's not hundred percent protection. And if you're in a community, in an environment where you're getting a lot of exposure, you're more likely to have a breakthrough infection. And I don't want a breakthrough infection. And so my take is wearing a mask indoors is not that hard. And in a community with low vaccination rates and high infection rates, I'd wear one. Uh, but in communities like
0: Massachusetts and Rhode Island, I wouldn't worry about it. So if you're fully vaccinated and you're in one of these scenarios where people aren't wearing a mask and you don't, can you get infected but have no symptoms but therefore be a carrier? We've gotten into this before, and I don't exactly remember what your answer was. Among vac- If you're vaccinated, can you be a carrier? Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, so there are vaccinated people who you can find a little virus in their nose. And the question is are they truly infected? And the real question is, are they gonna spread it to others, right? So the mental model, the thing we worry about is, I have an unvaccinated child at home, I'm fully vaccinated, might I bring it home and pass it on? I will tell you, we have not seen cases of asymptomatic vaccinated people spreading it to others. Symptomatic vaccinated people, people who have breakthrough infections, they can spread it to others but I have not seen asymptomatic vaccinated people. So I largely feel like, I'm not saying it's not possible, it's theoretically possible, but if you have been vaccinated and you feel fine, you're not gonna be spreading it to others.
0: Thank you. A study published this week in Nature provided more evidence that the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines may provide protection from COVID that last years or even a lifetime. We've discussed this before with previous studies, but this is yet the latest. So what do you make of, of this latest uh, study that was published in nature? Of course, one of the great, well-respected journals in the scientific world. Yeah, it's a, it's a great journal. It's a great paper.
1: Um, what I make of it is it is more evidence, but not definitive evidence uh, that we are going to have, these vaccines are going to last us a while, that we're going to have a lot, we're going to have reasonably long-term immunity. Now, what do I mean by more evidence, but not definitive? Like there's more data to be gathered here. We don't know, because we haven't had vaccines long enough, whether 18 months later, you're, whether you're gonna start seeing more breakthrough infections. We might, we might not. I am optimistic that these vaccines are gonna last at least a year, but hopefully you hear in my voice, a sense that it'll probably be much longer than that. But we do have to wait a year or two to see how that all plays out. To me, this was more evidence that we're not gonna, no one's gonna need a booster anytime super soon. There have been questions about J&J, which we can come back to, but we're talking about Moderna and Pfizer. People are not going to need boosters. And uh, if, by the way, six months or nine months or a year from now, the evidence and data
0: changes and we find that we do need a booster, we'll talk about it. We may need it. So the final question for, uh, for you before we get to several audience questions, um, I'm, this is my turn, but there's a sub-variant, if you will, of the Delta variant that's emerged is called Delta Plus. What can you tell us about that? I I know very little except I've read, you know, here and there the New York Times and elsewhere, but I know very little about, what do you know? You obviously know more than I do. Yeah, well, I do
1: and I don't. I do in the sense I've, I've, you know, been looking at it and looking at the data. Um, It seems to have the major kind of difference between Delta and Delta Plus is that Delta Plus has what's called the K417N mutation. No reason people need to know that. That's the mutation that was in the beta variant, that's the South African variant, that tended to cause maybe a little more immune escape. And so it has gotten people worried, is it going to be super contagious like Delta, but maybe with a little more immune escape like the the beta? I guess what I would say to people, uh, and I just did a long... um, conversation about this with people in India, because that's where it was first identified and is really spreading, is um, we don't know a lot about this. I hate to say what I'm about to say, but I'll say it. I'm not super worried about it. Like, I think it's going to be okay. I don't think it'll become a major problem. Delta is a major problem. I don't think it'll be a problem even bigger than Delta. Um, We don't know for sure. We're going to see where the data lands us in the next four or six weeks. We're going to get a lot more information about Is it more contagious? Is it more deadly? Is it gonna really cause problems with this immune escape? My sense is Delta plus will not end up being a major factor over Delta, but it's a sense, it's not data. And we'll know more, I would say in the next
0: month or so. Thank you. So first audience question comes from a woman in Germany who is the mother of uh, boys ages 12, 13, and 15. She writes that her country's standing committee on vaccination, which is an official body, recommends the Pfizer vaccine only for people 18 and older, unlike here in the U.S., of course, where kids 12 and older are eligible. So she writes, I simply cannot understand how one should accept the German measures, as we call them, as sufficient in protecting our children, keeping distance, hand hygiene, wearing masks, opening the windows in our school." here's the, really the, the bottom line question. What is your take on the potential risks of children getting any long-term consequences after their vaccination? Mm, good question. It's been controversial because we've
1: heard about this, uh, heart inflammation, myocarditis uh, that has popped up in kids, uh, mostly in boys. And it's pretty rare. And when I look at the data, well, let me say actually two things. First, is um, we're not under, I mean, I think under no circumstance are we gonna like completely eradicate SARS-CoV-2, right, the virus. It's gonna become endemic. It'll be around. People will get exposed to it every once in a while. Because it's gonna become endemic, my sense is a vast majority of people, including vast majority of kids, will either at some point now or later end up getting infected or will need to get immunity through some other measure, vaccines. Personally, I think it's a no brainer. Vaccines are so much better, so much safer than getting infected. And that data is, I think, very clear that getting vaccinated is a much better way to have immunity. And we're all going to end up having immunity one way or the other at some point down the road. Now, if you look at the kids, there is this myocarditis is a relatively low risk. A vast majority of kids got better from the myocarditis with no treatment, um, but definitely a minority of them ended up needing hospital care and even ICU care. I'm not trying to trivialize it. It's an important uh, adverse event. Compare that to hospitalizations, ICUs, and deaths that happen in kids from COVID. Again, less often than in adults, but it does happen in kids. I think people should be getting vaccinated. I think kids should be getting vaccinated. I can understand when you don't have enough vaccines, so you prioritize older people. But over time, I think younger people need to be vaccinated, too.
0: Well, maybe Angela Merkel will listen to this. <laughs> that would be great. So a man in Boston writes a longer question. I'm going to simplify. What is known about scientific progress on reliable, fast, cheap, at-home COVID tests? And I think this is an excellent question. There was a lot of fanfare about them, you know, coming, coming along, you can do them. This person thinks it would be a good tool in, in fighting the pandemic.
1: I agree with this person. Um, something it would have been a phenomenal tool last year. We had the technology. There were a variety of reasons we didn't get it ramped up. It's still a good tool. Look, we're going to have people who are going to have breakthrough infections, right? So what you want, and I'll give you a a specific, um, about 10 days ago, so we bought some of these home tests. They're available. They're still kind of a bit more expensive, but you can get them at CVS and Walmart. They're called Binax now. Um, They're about 10 bucks a test. A couple of weeks ago, my nine-year-old, who is obviously unvaccinated, Uh, at home, wakes up in the morning and has a runny nose and a cough and a bit of a sore throat. And I was like, oh, great. This is not what I was hoping for, obviously. Uh, And of course, what I worried about it was, did he pick up COVID somewhere? Um, We had a home test. We administered it. 15 minutes later, we had a negative result and everybody felt much, much better. Um, If he had a positive result, we would have isolated. He would not have gone to school. Therefore, he wouldn't have infected other people. Therefore, we would have stopped the outbreak and him be propagating an outbreak if he was positive. So it's not just for him, it's also for everybody else he's gonna play with and hang out with and spend time with. These home tests, again, they're a little, still a little more expensive. They're about 10 bucks, uh, 10 to 15 bucks a test. Uh, I would like them, we have the ability to get them down to five bucks a test. I would like them to be widely available. I'd like the government to subsidize them. I'd like people to be able to use them anytime anybody has symptoms. And it's a really good way of preventing Uh, spread of the virus and and it should be widely available.
0: I mean, it's almost like having a thermometer. You know, if your kid has a temperature, you want to see if it's, you know, in in the in the danger zone and they're reliable. These tests, the home tests are reliable. Okay, they're they're, they're
1: quite reliable. Look, they're going to miss some very, very mild uh, disease that may not actually spread. What I always say is if you are in the phase of the disease where you're going to be spreading it to other people, the, the test will pick it up. If you're in the phase of the disease where you're not spreading it anymore, the test may miss it. But I also care less about that because you're not at that point contagious. So it's a very good test for picking up people who are contagious.
0: So a psychotherapist from the state of Wisconsin is worried about the possible concern about the possibility of experiencing long COVID, of course, which is not a, a condition you want to get Yep. She's fully vaccinated, has read that people with asymptomatic illness can later have long COVID symptoms. She's looking for guidance on mask wearing and writes, long COVID could end my career in a heartbeat. And I take that very seriously. So this is, again, a mask wearing yep. question. Can you comment on, on this particular situation? Sure. And here's, I think, the fundamental question that the person is asking
1: is there are two parts one is can asymptomatic people get long covid and then what about vaccinated people do they get long covid um so asymptomatic people can though this is pretty rare i mean most of the long covid is in people who had covid had symptoms you know sometimes mild often more kind of moderate um and then end up developing long covid so um right so the idea is mild and moderate symptoms don't protect you from long covid the question you're actually asking here is very a little bit different, which is what about vaccinated people who might have a breakthrough infection? Or vaccinated people who might have asymptomatic, become asymptomatic carriers? If you become an asymptomatic carrier and you're vaccinated, I just like I, I just can't imagine you're gonna get long COVID. That doesn't make sense to me that you would. What if you have breakthrough infection? What if you get symptomatic disease after you've had you've been fully vaccinated? Of course, there is some risk. The short answer is we don't know. Like we have no data on breakthrough infections in vaccinated people in long COVID. Here's my gestalt having spoken to a lot of immunologists and a lot of experts as well and thinking about the data myself. My sense is if you're fully vaccinated and have breakthrough infection, you're probably not likely to get long COVID because you have a pretty robust immune system and that's gonna manage it in a very specific way. So I, again, I don't wanna be cavalier about this, but my gestalt is if you're fully vaccinated, protect yourself. Or try to avoid getting, having breakthrough infections. Don't hang out with people who are hacking up and, you know, sick. But you probably are not at high risk of getting long COVID. Not zero, but probably at very, very low risk.
0: Final question is from our home place of Rhode Island. And um, this woman writes that she saw a news clip that showed Dr. Ja. Saying he thinks people who have received the J and J vaccine might, in fact, need a booster to help combat the Delta variant. My husband received J and J in March, so we're interested to hear more of what he has to say on this. So again, booster for the J and J or not? What are your What are your uh, Yeah, this observations.
1: Is a, this is not only a really good question. It's probably the question I get asked most in the last few weeks. It's been uh-huh. um, so. Let me say how I I think about it. Um. For the mRNA vaccines, for Pfizer and Moderna, you need two shots. People are like, what about J&J? It's only a one-shot vaccine. It is a one-shot vaccine. And the short answer is we don't know how well the one-shot J&J protects against Delta. We don't know. We just don't have, haven't done the data yet. We haven't gotten the data yet. However, my, I'll tell you, and again, in all this stuff, when I don't know, I, I can't give you like evidence-based advice, but I can give you my best assessment based on all the data we do have. Um, I think one-shot J&J is a much better vaccine than a one-shot mRNA vaccine like Pfizer and Moderna. You definitely need two shots of those. My sense is that as when the data comes in, which it will in the next few weeks, um, we're gonna find that one-shot J&J, you do see a little bit of a hit on the overall efficacy that sort of whether you got infected or not, but severe illness, J&J will continue to hold up really, really well, That you will not get severe illness if you've been if you've gotten the one shot of J&J. So that's my best guess of the data that's coming. We just haven't seen it yet. As people are working on that right now. Okay. So then the question is what do you do? And my advice is personally if I had gotten a J&J vaccine, right now I wouldn't do anything. I'd sit tight. I'd wait for a few weeks. I'd probably avoid large indoor gatherings un- unmasked. But, you know, that, that uh, I'd probably avoid sort of but I would feel very comfortable being indoors with other vaccinated people. I'd be very comfortable being outdoors completely normally. I I don't think you need to make any major modifications, but avoid the highest risk activities for the next few weeks. Let's see where the data come in. My guess is that we may end up recommending that people get a single shot of an mRNA vaccine like Pfizer or Moderna, but I don't know. And last point I would make is if you are super high risk and really, really worried, you could go and get a single shot. But it's just, it's, it's a recommendation without any basis. Uh, I don't have any evidence to say that's the right thing to do. The CDC has not recommended it. So I am not recommending that people do that. I'm saying just wait a couple of weeks. We're not asking you to wait months, but in a few weeks, we'll know more.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, as always, audience members, if you have a question, send it to me, Miller at providencejournal.com and write question for Dr. Jha in the subject field. We'll be talking again in the next couple of weeks. Have a good uh, a good day and a good couple of weeks, Ashish. Thank you again. Thank you,
1: Wayne. And, and have a great 4th of July. And by the way, if you remember, back in December, I had said that I was going to host a... I felt like we were going to be at a point where we we're going to be able to host a barbecue on 4th of July. So I'm having some friends and family over for a, a barbecue on 4th of July because it's a way to mark the fact that we really have, despite all these challenges, made massive progress on the pandemic. And so... Uh, that's going to be fun, and I hope you have a great fourth, and I look forward to catching up soon thereafter.
0: Thanks, and we won't use your address because so, you don't have a million people showing up <laughs> who listen to this <laughs> podcast. Have a great right, one. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Take care.